Welcome back, folks. Good to have you with us here on the Mark Steiner Show and your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. As we jump into our conversation, I want to remind you the Mark Steiner Show is brought to you in part by MeQ, Baltimore's Credit Union, offering a full range of financial services. MeQ, Baltimore's Credit Union, is helping its its members and its community prosper in its 80th year. Remember, it's a credit union, not just a bank, belongs to you. Money comes back in the end. When you invest in yourself, MeQ invests in you. More information at W www.mecu.com or steinershow.org is MeQ, Baltimore Credit Union's banner. We are joined now. Mark Trahan continues to be with us here. Great. I'm so happy you could stay with us for another ha- extra half hour. He's an independent journalist, faculty member at the University of North Dakota as the Charles R. Johnson Endowed Professor of Journalism. You can follow his work at trahanreports.com. He also is past president of the Native American Journalists Association. Uh, and uh, joining him here today in this part of our uh, conversation is Brian Ward, uh, indigenous rights and climate uh, justice activist, contributed to The Nation magazine, and was recently in Standing Rock uh, at the protests against the, da- the Dakota Access Pipeline. And Brian, welcome to the program. And Mark, thank you so much for staying with us. Thank you for having me. And y'all can still be here. <laughs> <laughs> and y'all can join us here at 410-319-8888. You can tweet us at Mark Steiner. Uh, you can also send us an email to talk at steinershow.org. And Brian, uh, let me just start with you. You wrote a really interesting piece um, about the world. We're doing this because of the World Series, obviously, and it's, mm-hmm. it's down to three games to two, and hope for many numerous reasons we see Chicago win. But um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, but it, it, talk about a bit of your, the, the article you wrote about why this World Series is tainted with racism. Yeah, yeah. So I think, uh, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the show. Uh, this is a really important issue. Um, I think kind of starting off, I think it's kind of an interesting uh, dynamic where right now we're faced, the, the Cleveland Indians are playing, uh, obviously, the Chicago Cubs, and uh, the Cleveland Indians logo uh, features uh, a, a guy by the name of Chief Wahoo, which is probably one of the most spectacularly racist logos in professional sports. Mm. Um, and, you know, it kind of gets a little bit of downplay because of the racist name of the Washington football team. Um, but it's kind of an interesting dynamic where this is what we're seeing in the mainstream. Uh, but then at the same time, we're seeing the largest uh, Native American resistance in decades. Uh, so uh, I think that kind of dynamic is really kind of an interesting piece that's thrown into this mix. Um because the logo itself is a, is a caricature. It's a, um, it's a caricature that's really only been around since uh, 1946, and uh, it's a very uh, held dear to the Cleveland fan base. But uh, you can go to a game, You even if you've watched any of the series at all, you've seen that uh, people dress up in red face, uh, wearing headdresses, uh, with really no understanding of what they're doing sometimes, or they just like kind of cling on to these these ideas without even knowing what they're clinging onto. Um, and I also think a, kind of a, another piece that I point out in the article is that uh, Larry Donald, the uh, owner of the Indians, has been a little bit more savvy than someone like Dan Snyder, the owner of the Washington football team, where he has openly come out against the Washington football team's name, uh, but at the same time is like we're not getting rid of Chief Wahoo, but they have kind of migrated the big C as their main logo for the Cleveland uh, baseball team. But still, if you watch the playoffs, every single game that the uh, Cleveland Indians have played, they've worn the hats that have featured Chief Wahoo, and it's on their, it's on their sleeves. So uh, 
this idea that he's trying to uh, uh, get rid of it is uh, kind of a false narrative at this point. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I think it at least brings, uh, it being at such a high-profile level, uh, could po- it possibly bring this kind of conversation, just like the conversation we're having today um, about what does this logo mean and uh, how is this still acceptable uh, in our society? You know, and, and Mark, a couple of things here. I, my, my wife just sent me an article at USA Today. She just uh, sent it over, um, and I'm looking at it now. And, you know, one of the things in this in this article that's really uh, just pretty vile, actually, um, is are the way people dress up. So they have these right. pic- they have these pictures of people in headdresses dressed in with red faces with these grinning gigantic white teeth around a, a black mouth it's 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 like the indian version of black sambo you know and, today and is, go ahead i'm sorry mark go oh today is kind of uh, native appropriations double header day with uh, uh what's going on in baseball plus halloween and all the folks mm-hmm. right inappropriately yeah. um what's really striking is if you talk to even some of the folks who are most ardent about dressing that way and putting their uh, costume on, they will go around and say, well, if you ask them, would you do that with a blackface? And to a person, almost all of them will say, no, that's not culturally acceptable. And yet they don't see the connection and they don't see that this is the same thing, that it goes beyond what should be accepted by any uh, civilized society. It's just wrong. That, it still it boggles the, my mind, at least, that, that, that what you just said is correct. Um, that it's this not it's not um, it's, it, it would not be acceptable to dress up mocking someone uh, because of their race in a football game, dressed in kind of a, a mimicry of the blackface of long ago. But this is still acceptable to many people. It's fine, you know that we can do this. And I and I wonder what you all think is the connection between this. It's an interesting juxtaposition. Here we have this World Series with the Cleveland team and their mascot um, playing in this World Series. So you see this all over television and these faces on television and the, and the painted faces on television and the logos on television. And you, at the same time, we have Standing Rock. I mean... Well, and the image that I can't get out of my head is on that same, that juxtaposition mark is exactly right. And the Los Angeles Times had a story on Sunday about the number of people who were arrested and had numbers written on their arms and were basically held in kennel in kennels, and wow. um, to me that is just extraordinary when you think about that juxtaposition between yeah it's still okay to do red face and yet they're marking people with arms and numbers and in kennels. You're seeing people oh. had, had like me like numbers painted on their arms. Something like written like, on their arms from the uh, Morton County Sheriff in North Dakota. Yes, uh, I didn't that that, was, that one I missed. I'm it's just, on the Los Angeles Times. I'm just looking it up right now. <laughs> I yeah. just I, I'm it just blows my mind because it's this you know it's it's you know that, that harkens back to concentration camps. Yep, exactly. Yep. Right. What were you going to say, Brian? I'm sorry. Yeah, well, and, and also, I mean, uh, the protesters have been, uh, or the water protectors have been strip-searched for the for simply being peaceful protesters. Um, and I think there's, like, it, what's interesting, kind of the dynamic you uh, presented, is that the logos and mascots really uh, try to eliminate this history. 
of, uh, of both resistance and just existence. So, like, the idea that the Cleveland logo exists is kind of kind of deeming uh, natives of some, some people of the past. Uh, but it's kind of, I mean, it's, it's very exciting to see at that same time. It's like, look, we're not people of the past. We're fighting today similar to the struggles we fought in the past. And, like, this is the, you know, this is the dynamic of America, this kind of hypocrisy, this contradiction that is constantly um, at the underbelly of, uh, of this country. And uh, uh, something like this does expose that. And I think uh, another little piece that came out this week that you may have seen out there is that there are a couple uh, uh, Ohio football teams uh, playing each other, and one of them was called the Indians, and the cheerleaders came out of the field with a big sign that said, get ready for Trail of, Trail of Tears Part 2. So this is, some, this is something that, like, it's not just like people say, oh, it's just a logo, but no, it, it actually conjures up things like that, like for that to be acceptable without even understanding the historical uh, uh, insensitivity and the historical trauma and destruction that has happened um, at, in this country to Native Americans. You know, also interesting, I think, that, that this is, goes back a ways. I was thinking about how in Cleveland itself, um, the, the American Indian Movement, founded by Russell Means, uh, El Akotosu, and, and Dennis Banks, who's Ojibwe, were founded in, in Cleveland. Yep. Um, and, and part of the beginning was, the, was the, to challenge the Cleveland team, team's name and the Chief Wahoo logo, and they, had, they created a campaign for dignity back in 1973. So this is not something that just happened this week because of Standing Rock. Exactly. And I think that's something that needs to be like understood is that uh, the fight against logos has been at the heart of um, the fight for Native American rights uh, for decades. And this isn't something that just came out of the blue. Um, and so connecting Standing Rock with the fight against logos isn't something that's like <laughs> new to people or writers uh uh, trying to make that connection, that's connections that Natives have been making for uh, for decades. And I didn't mean to say was for Dennis Banks. He's still with us, but I mean, so. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> I just want to make that clear. So I'm sorry, Mark, would you pick up on that? No, I agree. I, um, one of the things that I've written about over the years is what's happened when uh, folks get it right. And you look at the transition from the Golden State Warriors and how they got out of the mascot business and Stanford and um, – as you make that transition, people forget about it very quickly mm-hmm. and just go on with, I mean, it doesn't do anything to the negative for the team. So it's a question of why are you fighting so hard for something, one, that's inevitable, and two, it's going to be good for your business down the road. Uh, that's what I just don't get. So, so talk about the, with your, both your analyses of the resistance to this, whether it's the Washington team or what's happening in Cleveland or high school teams or college teams that remain with these logos. Um, and, you know, there also people try to compare, well, it's just like saying Minnesota Vikings. Um, but, I mean, so, so what about the, the, the heart of that and where it is? Why, why do you think it's so difficult to get beyond this in this country? Brian? Yeah, so um, I think a, a couple things. First off, I think the resistance is very strong. Um, obviously, we haven't really, I mean, uh, it's already mentioned that the Golden State Warriors kind of went away from uh, their old logo um, some years ago, but uh, but from the grassroots up, high schools have been changing their names. Actually, California state legislator um, have actually made it illegal for schools to have uh, um, mascots uh, with the uh, the R word, and um, 
And so I think that's important for us to know is that that's actually changes have happened. Uh, we just haven't been able to really tap into the to the professional market. And I and I do think it's and it's somewhat inevitable, but I think it will only be inevitable if resistance continues to come. Um, and I, obviously, the Washington football team has been kind of the epicenter right. of this kind of. Uh, uh, Via, like it's showing where people stand, where you know the Cleveland Indians are buying a bed on the sideline, the Atlanta Braves, the Kansas City Chiefs, but uh, it does put into question um, a lot of these things. And kind of, uh, you you hear people say this all the time, like, "Well, what about the Minnesota Vikings or the uh, uh, Notre Dame fighting Irish?" Uh, the reality is, it, it, the the idea of mascotting a people that have uh, faith the uh, genocidal uh, policies of the United States, um, it, it removes it from a historical context in which uh, what what has happened in this country. You know, we have a lot of names after natives, like where where the United States conquered, they use, they try to take the native name or, you know, use a, a, a native face on these logos, uh, kind of in a certain but nostalgia of those old Indian wars um, uh, that they try to wear as a badge of honor. Um, and, and so I think, I think that the resistance is, is strong and is becoming stronger. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't see in the next five to 10 years, uh, uh, we seeing people step away from these, uh, from these logos. And, you know, and Mark, there's, there's also a striking, I'll just throw this out, there's a striking difference between the Minnesota Vikings and let's say the, the Notre Dame team. Yeah. Um, I mean, A, Minnesota was founded in many ways, on the white side, <laughs> by Scandinavians uh, as a state, honoring their ancestry in the name of the football team. And Notre Dame was a Catholic university where it was the, the fighting Irish Catholics were going to come and whip your butt on the field. I mean, it was it's, it's a bit different than 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 professional teams um, utilizing racist terminology and racist logos. Well, w- w- one way to illustrate that might be my own campus. So I'm here at the University of North Dakota, and uh, for many years it was uh, the Fighting Sioux. Mm-hmm. And um, students, even freshmen coming in, are so ingrained with that that they don't want to give it up. The official logo is now the Fighting Hawks. Yet, if you, In fact, I won't go to a game because you go to a game and they still use the same uh, Sioux language and chants and stuff that uh, is particularly offensive, that people still uh, do red face. And uh, it's striking that now we're into our third year of not being uh, University of North Dakota fighting Sioux, and you wouldn't know it from the students. And this is from kids coming in, freshmen, who you'd think would say, okay, we got a new thing. Let's move on. Um, it just is stuck. So talk, that, I think that uh, going back to what I was asking a little earlier, Mark, maybe you can lead this off, what you were just saying, and go right back over to Brian Ward, is that, that what is it about, from your perspective, about this country's majority perceptions of Native people and the racism that exists that people won't even call racist because they don't see it. They might not, they might not even see it as that. They don't accept it as that. What's the dynamic? What, 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 what's underlying this? What is the dynamic of this? How do you get to it? Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I thought I kind of got it until I was on this campus, and now I see how <laughs> deep it is, and it just changed my perceptions. For example, um, again, if you say that it's honoring people, then this should be the hotbed of activity to support the protest against the Dakota Access, mm-hmm. access right. Pipeline. Right. And our students ought to be on the buses being water protectors. And uh, I did take a group of students, and it was interesting because their perceptions, 
before they got there and after were just uh, 180 degrees. Um, this is not connected to the real people in the ways that it should be. Brian? Yeah, and Even I if think... you take them at their word. What did you, you say, Mark? Even if you take them at their word of honoring, right. um, they're not doing any of that. Yeah, and I think I think the tide is starting to turn a little bit, but it's it's going to. Uh, you do see these fan bases um, kind of uh, uh, clinging on to these uh, old old logos, uh, but there are you know a certain minority within those fan bases that you know do want it to change, um, and I, I think you're seeing that with at least the Cleveland team in the sense that the sales of the uh, the big. The logo hat has increased dramatically because uh, there are a lot of young people that don't feel comfortable uh, wearing that uh, uh, the Chief Wahoo hat. Um, I know I interviewed a couple uh, of folks for my article, The Nation, recently, and um, and it, it, it's an embarrassment to some folks. I mean, obviously, there's still uh, the majority um, are clinging on to these uh, logos, but I think it's going to take a little bit of that, like a fan base, some. Like a small minority fan base is really pushing pushing the issue um, and acknowledging that it's an embarrassment and acknowledging that, acknowledging that this is unacceptable. Um, the National Congress of American Indians a couple of years ago uh, did a great bit of kind of putting together three baseball hats, um, one being called the New York Jews, the other one being called San Francisco Chinamen, right. with, with, uh, with uh, really obviously racist caricatures on the hat next to the Cleveland Indians, and uh, it really puts that into perspective, like what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable. And I think that people with the uh, this resistance at Stadium Rock getting um, from young people a lot of uh, support and the, um, that we're seeing people actually look beyond the logos and seeing, hey, these people are still here and they're still fighting, and um, this is part of our fight. And that's why you're seeing such a large with the Standing Rock resistance large multiracial fight. It's not just natives on the front line there. It is a multiracial fight for sure. People seeing their issues connected with native issues. So I think that's an, at least an inspiration that we can uh, uh, gain from for the, the, the future fight. Uh, folks, um, this segment is live, 410-319-8888. Do call in and give us your thoughts and ideas. Tweet us at Mark Steiner. Uh, send us an email to talkatsteinershow.org. But 410-319-8888 is the number. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas here on the Steiner Show. Um, you know, I, I was looking at <coughs> Kevin uh, uh, Gover, 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 uh, Gover, the director of the National Museum, Museum of American Indian, excuse me, and a Pawnee member, said um, his quote was, in USA Today today, it's an expression of the idea. We, the white people, won, and we can do anything with you and your imagery and your indignity that we choose to do. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, that's... I think that's right. Kevin is uh, on the money. So, so you know, one of the things I was thinking about also when you look at this, uh, you, you mentioned in your article, Brian, and I want to come back to a little Standing Rock update here from, from Mark before we go. You remember that there was you mentioned a guy in your article, Louis Sakalexis, mm-hmm. who was a Native American incredible baseball player, yep. uh, way back when. Uh, and what what was that relationship? And that's also when you wrote about 1946 when the name came into place. Much yep. like in the African American world, we're returning uh, GIs who were uh, African American were the heart of the movement for change in America, um, and this is kind of this, the same thing with with Native guys coming back. Uh, and kind of slap in the face as they walk through the door. 
Yeah, so for, first off about uh, Louis Sasha uh, Alexis, he uh, you know, was a Native American uh, Cleveland baseball player, and this was even before um, they were called the Cleveland Indians. And uh, he was you know, uh, idolized in Cleveland. He was a superstar. Yeah, he was a superstar. And then, uh, uh, you know, uh, much like any athlete, he went downhill. And, uh, you know, they called him Chief, uh, just like a lot of Native players were called um, at the time, which obviously shouldn't be acceptable. And, uh, and this is kind of the line. And then he, unfortunately, he, he uh, his career went down, and he later died of alcoholism. But uh, this is kind of the, the what the Cleveland baseball team puts forward as this is the story of how he – um, got uh, the uh, the name Indians to honor him. I think it's uh, more likely that it was something along the lines of uh, being uh, connected to the seeing the popularity of the Boston Braves at the time in 1915 when they actually became the Indians. But this is kind of you know this idea that they're honoring them. And then and then on your point uh, that I point out how the the logo of Chief Wahoo was not around until 1946. It, I mean there was. Between 1915 and 1946, they didn't have that logo. It was just the, the big C. They were obviously called the Cleveland Indians. But um, it's just that it, you look at the, the historical time period. This was the time, obviously, uh, people were fighting in World War II, uh, both uh, black and uh, Native Americans, uh, fighting at disproportional rates, you know, fighting fascism, and then uh, coming back and seeing that they're not welcome here. And I kind of mentioned my article how Native Americans were – kind of idolized using their native language um, to uh, bypass like people who were uh, the Nazis who were listening into their uh, uh, their messages and using the using you know people finally know the Navajo but there were plenty of other uh, natives that were using their native languages and ironically I you know they come back and it's illegal to speak their language um, on their very homeland. Um, and so this is this is the you know once again this is the contradiction of America like we're fighting for freedom and fascism but uh, not for the freedom of Native Americans or African Americans in, in our in our country at the, at the time. Before we get a final word from Mark Trahan, I, I want to go to uh, the phones. Get at least one call in here. Uh, analyst, you're on the air. Welcome. Hey, Mark. This is analysis. How are you? Good. I mean analysis. Like, how you doing, man? Uh, that's all right. That's all right. Um, your, your guests are hitting on so many key points. Uh, this is an issue I've had the opportunity to ally with indigenous leadership for many years, and I used to live in Cleveland for a number of years, so in terms of protests at the stadium there and down here at RFK, what I have seen uh, is that the ability for the country to still do this is because indigenous people just aren't seen as human, fully respected as human. Now, we know from the history of systemic racism that that is the way in which you get a people to sustain racist ideas and what have you, dehumanize them to a large degree. Until that changes, then I'm afraid that our efforts are going to have difficulty gaining leverage because we try to make the argument that, oh, this is offending sacred symbols, which it is. This is offending folk, you know, and, and the humanity of indigenous people just aren't seen. And I think we might have to up the ante in terms of our arguments to really drawing the connections to uh, for instance, suicide rates among indigenous youth and, and mm -hmm. some things that, that might actually hit harder. Um, so much I can say, but I actually wrote a poem about this whole issue. But um, just very briefly to your guest from University of North Dakota, uh, I'm so glad to hear that the name, at least de Yuri, has changed because I didn't even know that they had taken that step. I know that for a long time, one of the major benefactors of the university, 
I don't remember his name, but as I understand it, he's a, kind of a fascist neo-Nazi benefactor. I think he built the the right. recent new hockey stadium um, for the hockey team, and I believe one of his tenants was do not change the name or else I'll pull my money out. I, I want you know your comment um, in terms uh, uh, of what happened with that, if you were able to overcome that. Always good to hear from your analysis. Let me let me go right to, to to Mark Trahan to close this out with a, a responding to the analysis, but also uh, your your final thoughts on the, what's happening in Standing Rock. Sure. Um, unfortunately, the stadium is still named that way, and uh, the lettering is on virtually every corner. You can't take two steps without saying it. It's really over the top. Um, he tried to make his point with it. So that's and one of the crazy things the university does is they still sell quote legacy gear, which is the old nickname, which of course fans uh, run out to buy. So I think there are still problems getting to that transition. Shifting to Standing Rock, it's a long-term story. Um, the company uh, is pushing to dig as fast as they can. They'll get right up to the river, and then they still got to get a uh, permit from the Army Corps of Engineers to go underneath the river. And uh, the administration has said that's not coming anytime soon, so we can keep our fingers crossed that uh, that remains uh, undone at this point. Well, we There's will... still um, a lot of people camp there and are trying to raise the issue in every way they can as water protectors. So we will keep uh, on weekly uh, as much as, as long as these people are struggling in Standing Rock. We will be standing with Standing Rock and having this. Uh, people from, from uh, North Dakota and around the country on talking about what's going on there. Mark Trahan, independent journalist, faculty member at the University of North Dakota, uh, the Charles R. Johnson Endowed Professor of Journalism. You can follow his work at trahanreports.com. Uh, Brian Ward, indigenous rights and climate justice activist, a contributor to The Nation. Uh, his article, Why the World Series is Tainted by Racism, we will link to, uh, and uh, was got this conversation started today uh, on our program. Uh, and I want to thank Mark Trahan, Brian Moore. Thanks so much for taking the time with our listeners today. Thank you so much. Very good. Take care, take y'all. Take care. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll be joined by Khalil Ismail uh, and talk about his work uh, in music and what he's going to be doing at University of Baltimore, continuing the tradition of black message music. Stay with us. We'll be right back.